Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Hey, uh, and, and if you're like, boy, that came out of nowhere, uh, you know, that's kind of the theme that, believe it or not, is a little bit of a theme of the next six weeks of what we're talking about. We're looking at the fact that there is a spiritual war. There is a, an assault on every individual. This past Thursday, I talked about that on Facebook. Uh, in order to make this not a, a 45 or 50 minute talk, I took part of the talk and I used that time on Thursday to, uh, to talk about the different battles that we all face. I talked about the battle within, the battle without, and the battle aimed at us. And if you did not have an opportunity to see that, I invite you to check that out. I also actually put that on our, on our app as well and shot that out this week. Uh, so if you're not on the app, get on the app and you will be able to have access to that. Uh, but, but we are in a battle. And, and what we just spoke about, what we prayed about is an aspect of that battle, of that battle of, of Satan and the flesh and the world just getting into life and breaking things, breaking things. Uh, there's a letter that I found on an online forum. For the record, there's nobody, nobody in this room wrote this letter. If, if you came to me and shared with me about concerns, if you shared with me about something that would need counseling, you can, I can promise you I will never, ever, ever come to the church two, two months, six months, six years later and talk about your issues that you shared with me privately, right? Uh, so this is not a letter from some church member. This is an online forum that I'm a part of, a prayer group where people can post prayers and know that people all across the world are praying for them. And, uh, and this was something that a person posted for an entire forum. It was not private in any way. Uh, every person on this worldwide forum saw this. This is what this lady wrote. She said, if I could sum up my life in a single word, it would be conflict. It seems I have to, to fight for everything. Everything is a battle. I battle my kids. I battle with my husband. I battle with my job and my boss. It's even tough with my walk with the Lord lately. We struggle. We struggle with money. We struggle with communication. We struggle with most decisions normal people have to make. Plus, I have all my internal struggles and battles, my fears and doubts. I just can't seem to stick with stuff even when I know it's the right thing to do. Why is life so hard, she asks. Then she also asks, will these battles ever get better? I really hope so because I often feel like just walking away from it all. Some of us can relate to that letter, can't we? Some of us innately know very well that life is hard, and we find ourselves asking one another, we find ourselves turning to the scriptures with the question, why? Why? Why is life so hard? Why does it have to be this way? And, and we correctly will turn to Genesis chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, and we recognize that because of the fall, because of sin entering into the world, that life is hard. And that's a true statement. But I don't want to blame everything just on the fall of Adam and Eve and the fall of humanity, even though that is the epicenter 
also we need to understand there's another reason why life is hard, and that is we are all engaged in a cosmic struggle, in a cosmic battle. And I already referred to this, uh, the battle within, the battle around you, and the battle at you, right? That's a way of saying that we battle with three enemies. We battle with the Bible calls our flesh or our sin nature, that innate being deep down inside of you, no matter how much you, how much you love Jesus, no matter how much you uh, call upon his name, no matter how intent you are to love him with all of your heart, you find there's still that part of you that just wants to, wants to do wrong. Paul talks about this in Romans where he says, why do I not do the things I want to do and I don't do the things that I, and I don't do the things that I should be doing? You know, if Paul's saying that, we say that too. So there's the battle within us that's our flesh, our sin nature. There's also the battle with the world. Now, that's not me trying to marshal the troops to say everything that's outside of us is evil and let's hate it all. No, what the world is in the Bible is talking about the worldly nature, the philosophy that says pay attention to everything about yourself and put yourself in number one position, put yourself in the pole position in the race and push everyone else behind. That's the worldly thinking where you are number one. And the Bible says the scriptures make it very clear that is an enemy to us. And then that final enemy is Satan. And we'll talk about Satan down the road uh, a little further. We look to scripture to understand the spiritual forces, these forces that are aligned against us and the resources that are made available to, uh, to you in Christ Jesus to battle these forces. And so today we're going to answer the question, look at the question of what do you do when you feel like giving up? When you're in a battle for so long, you just want to quit. You want to lay it down because you're just worn out and you're tired. And for that, I invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We're going to look at Hebrews 12 to see what, what the writer here has to say about dealing with life when you want to give up. And the scripture says in Hebrews 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. When in the middle of the struggle, it's a dream to be able to surrender, isn't it? It's a dream to be able to walk away. I know I'm not alone in this room when I have fantasies thinking, you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my life on a nice sandy beach in the Caribbean and I'm going to I'm going to rent a I'm going to I'm going to start owning I'm going to own a wrecker uh, business. I don't know how to deal with marine wrecks, but by golly, I'm going to learn. I'm going to be that bum that you all see on the on your vacation that hasn't worn shoes in 5 years and I'm a little too old to be wearing a gold necklace with a uh, golden uh, anchor on it, but that's okay. And I have a puka shell bracelet, but that's okay. And yes, my gray hair has turned blonde from both the sun and bleach, but that's okay. You know, I, I, am I the only one that has that dream out there, or, or am I the only one? Uh, 
I think there's some of you, Dave's looking at me going, nah, not me, but Dave, I know you're, forget it. I'm not even going to, there's so many areas I could go. There's so many areas. I'm just going to move on. So my, my point is, what do we do when we want to give up? What do we do when we just say, I've had it. I've had it with the junk. I've had it with the difficulties. I've had it with the tough personalities in life. I've had it with my family. I've had it with my workplace. I've had it with life. What do we do? Well, here we have a small prescription to help us. The very first thing that Paul, or I say Paul, we don't really know who wrote Hebrews. Some thinks Paul, but, but actually now in consensus, most say it's no longer the idea that Paul wrote this, but perhaps a, a, a former priest uh, wrote the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it exactly. This person says the very first thing comes out of the gates of, of Hebrews 12 saying, uh, reminding us, how do we get through tough times? Recognize that heaven is watching. Heaven is watching your life. Now, I know that that idea is nothing new to you, that you've probably had an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or perhaps a mom or dad who was very quick whenever you messed up to point out that Jesus was watching you during the bad times in your life. And Jesus is very disappointed in you. That's not what this is communicating. I don't believe that's an accurate statement about Jesus' intent on your life to begin with. I, don't, I think that is a way of twisting Scripture to try to get children to behave, and it's a, a poor decision for parents to remind their kids that Jesus is watching during the lowest time of the, your kid's life. That's a free parenting seminar there that you also get in this talk for, for, for free. Uh, rather, what I'm trying to tell you today is that we should be encouraged because we know that heaven is watching us. You have an audience in the, in, with the people of God in the heavenlies. Do you realize that? I don't know what it is. I don't know how it looks. I don't know if there's an arena filled with Moses and Elijah and Elisha and Jeremiah. I don't know if there's an arena or if it's, if it's just a uh, you know, living room with the apostles sitting there watching a big screen of what's going on in your life right now. But know this, heaven knows your name. And heaven is aware of what you're going through. And heaven is, uh, is not only aware of what you're going through, they are actively cheering you on. It's a beautiful thing to know. The Bible declares that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro this earth. Job 31, verse 4, Job says when he comes to God that he sees everything I do and every step I take. You see, so often in this life, we think no one knows and no one cares. We think no one's paying attention and we're just this nondescript entity out there just struggling along and no one has a clue the difficulties you're going through. Understand that is the enemy planting a lie in your head that's telling a falsehood, friends. Because the reality is, heaven does know. And the beautiful thing is this. The scripture makes it very clear here that they are doing what? There is a great cloud of witnesses that they are cheering you on. They're cheering you on. They're not sitting there criticizing you. Moses is not watching my, my real tape going, that Tony, man, he thinks he has it hard because there's 200 people uh, in his church and half of them are griping because he's too serious about the masks and the other half are griping because he's not serious enough. He thinks that's hard. Man, try having a million people complaining about every decision you're making. 
Uh, you know, Moses is not standing up there laughing and go, that, he doesn't have a clue what it's like to lead people. Uh, you know, he doesn't have an army behind him chasing him down. Uh, he doesn't have vipers coming out of every nook and cranny killing his people. He doesn't have to figure out how to get food and water for a million plus people in a desert, in the Saudi Arabian desert. Moses isn't saying that. What Moses is doing is he's cheering me on right now. And he's saying something like, I know, I know what leadership is. I wear the mantle. I wore the mantle of leadership. And if I did it, you can do it too, Tony. Hang in there. And guess what? He's not just doing that for me. He's doing that for each and every one of us. He's, he and all of the, the people, the, this great cloud of witnesses are not criticizing our life, but they're cheering us on. And friend, not only do we need to pay attention to that in Scripture, but we look at, at verse 1 also. We need, we need to run God's race. What do we do when we feel like giving up? Well, let's, let's focus on running God's race. 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If you are a note taker or you'd like to write in your Bible, I would underline to underline the words, the race marked out for us. We need to run the race that God has for us. You know what a big temptation is for every person in this room? Every person, including me. More often than not, we do not chase after the race that God has marked out for you. We chase after the race that God has marked out for other people. We let other people decide what our races are. And, and then sometimes we don't let other people decide what our races are, but we decide what our races are, right? And we decide to make decisions of, God, this is the race I'm going to run because I want to run it. Because it's the race I want to run, or it's the race that my parents told me to run, or it's the race that my college professor told me I should run, or it's the race that my boss told me years and years ago that I'd be wasting my time unless I charted this course. You see, so often we, we run other people's races, and then we wonder why we have a flat tire. We wonder why we blow out a hamstring, because it's not the race that God designed for you, friend. Don't. Live out of someone else's agenda. I, I got a clue for you. If you don't understand this, you know what? The, the person to your right and the person to your left, take a look at them right now. Look at them, okay? If there's not someone on your right or your left, go far enough and there's going to be someone to your right or your left. Guess what? I'm going to give you something about them. They all have an agenda for you. You realize that? They have an agenda for you. And their agenda is not necessarily what God's agenda is. I'm not saying, I'm making it real clear, I'm not saying that person to your right and left are bad people. Hopefully, more than likely, one of them is a mate of yours, I'm, so I'm not saying that at all, right? But what I'm saying is this, I'm saying that so often, we walk through world, the world, and we just assume that when we hear something from someone around us, that uh, their, their agenda is God's agenda. For the record, uh, let's be clear, I have an agenda for you too, Right? Uh, because I'm an entity in this room. I have an agenda for you as well. And I will say it clearly, my agenda is not God's agenda for your life, right? We need to get over trying to please everyone else's agendas in order to make them happy, in order to we feel like that, that that will make life even keeled if we can please everyone's agenda around us. Quit pursuing those things 
And understand that when God made you, he set forth a plan for you. He set forth a story, a journey, an agenda. And so begin the process of passionately pursuing the agenda that God has laid out in your life. How do we do this? That's the million-dollar question. How do I choose to understand? How do I come to a point to understand what God's agenda is for my life? Understand very clearly, we don't do it by divination. We don't do it by games. We don't sit back and just say, throw up our hands and say, it's unknowable. Who can even understand it? So I'm going to not even try. You, under, you realize there are whole religions. I mean, you know, you take, you take that course in high school where you study uh, Greco-Roman literature and you'll hear stories about, about the, uh, uh, you know, when you read about the Trojan War, what would they do? They would cut a goat and they'd look at the entrails of a goat to determine what the, if they should go to war or not, right? They do all these divination type things. There's religions. Most religions have ways to divine the truth. In Western culture, we have this religion called the magic eight ball, right? And how many of us, we play it as a game, but there's still that little part of you that takes it serious, right? I, I, in high school or in college, I met a, a kid that, that lived uh, an apartment away from me, a couple of, of apartments down from my apartment in the hall. And and he literally he took it, he had a magic eight ball. And I thought it was a joke at first, but I discovered after living next to him after a year, I discovered that anytime he had a major decision, he would ask that eight ball and he would take it. He would, he would take it with more than a grain of salt, you know? Most of us don't do that, but most of us do decide, oh, you know what, understanding God's will is unknowable, so why bother? Why even try? So how do we, how do we come to know God's will for ourselves. Okay, here's me putting off, taking off my preacher hat, putting on my teacher hat, and so my, my voice goes down a little bit, okay? Um, I slow down my, my how, how fast I speak here. Here's what I have learned of how do you discover God's will in your life. You learn your shape, shape. You learn your shape. How God has designed you speaks very succinctly how he's formed you will inform you on how and what he wants you to do in your life. When I talk about shape, I'm talking about discovering your spiritual gifts and figuring out how is it that God has equipped you to do things for the church. I'm talking about your heart. What are your passions that God has put in your life that, that get your heart racing when other things don't, you know? Uh, what, what is it that are your special abilities that only you can do, you know? Uh, uh, those of you, there's several of you here that are incredible handymen, incredible with, with uh, construction. You know what? That's not my ability. So I know God's not calling me to give the next three years of my life to a mission in which I'm building, building churches because I'm, I'm not that guy, right? That's not my ability set. Personality you know, there's a lot to be said about introverts versus extroverts. And one of the things I've learned is very rarely does God call an introvert to serve in a place that requires an extrovert to thrive and vice versa also. Very rarely does God call an extrovert to go work in a cubicle in a back room, you know, punching numbers in for the glory of his kingdom. Uh, experience. What has God taken you through through your life? to get you to where you're at today, your experience, your experience matters. So yes, that is reason why I can say this, that 
that there are people that have gone through sexual exploitation that when they receive forgiveness, or not forgiveness, when they receive healing and mercy and when they receive restoration, some of those people, they just want to bury it and put it in the past. But what I say is allow that experience to inform you about how to do life in the future because chances are that God's going to put that person in the path of someone who was where they were at five years earlier and God's going to use the person who's been healed to help with the person who is in the process of healing. We're going to talk more about shape on, on Thursdays when I do my discussion, when I do my talk because understand that, that this is multiple sermons here. This is multiple talks we don't have the time to spend 50 minutes uh, just unpacking each of these items today, but I will unpack those items on Thursdays on Facebook. And what I'll do is I'll post them onto our, onto our app as well, so you'll have multiple opportunities to interact with those if you wish, if you wish, okay? The good news when we look at our shape, understand this, God will never ask you why you were not more like Billy Graham. You understand that? I'm confident that when I get to heaven, God's not going to shake his head at me and say, why couldn't you have been more like Billy Graham? But he very likely will ask me why I did not embrace the person he created me to be and why I did not do a better job developing my talents and the treasures that he trusted with me. You, you see what I'm talking about here? So let's focus on running God's race that he's marked out for each of us. The third thing that we see here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, is what do we do when we find ourselves at a point where we're at the end of our rope ready just to say, I give up. I give up in this struggle. Well, what this writer tells us is to pay attention to Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus when you're ready to give up. What is he writing in verse 2? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, in order to endure the unendurable, we must keep our eyes on the invisible. Now, friends, I... I toot my horn when I feel like I deserve it. And I'm just going to say, I feel like I deserve to toot my horn right now because I wrote that. I wrote that myself. I didn't steal that. I didn't rip that off from another thinker. I, I came up with that. So I'm going to repeat it a second time because it's worthy of you to tweet out to your friends. Okay? And I say this, in order to endure the unendurable, because let's face it, some of you are going through things that are unendurable. Oh, maybe you could go through them for a week or two weeks, but you've been going through them for several months or several years, right? In order to, to deal with, in order to endure the unendurable, we must keep our eyes on the invisible, friend. Here's another one. Now, this one came from Corey Tin Boom. Some of you know who she is. She was a, a Christian, a young lady who her family hid Jews in their home uh, during Nazi, the Nazis' reign of terror in Europe. And when the Nazis discovered that her family were hiding Jews, they sent the whole family, the whole Tin Boom family, uh, to the same concentration camps they were sending the Jews. I'm not aware of how many members of her family died in those camps. I am aware that her sister, who was her best friend, died in front of her, died in front of her, did not make it out of that camp, but Corey did. And these, this is one of the things that she said that is absolutely incredible, absolutely incredible. Incredible. 
she wrote, and I've lost my page here. Let me, let me make sure I get it here. She wrote, if you look to the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. If you look to Jesus, you'll be at rest. When I read that passage in preparation for today's talk, I thought, man, does that not sum up what the past year is for so many of us dealing with the COVID stuff and dealing with all the political nonsense and dealing with all the social upheaval? We, I've seen so many of us, and I've done this too, where at times I'm so busy focusing outwardly and looking at all the things that's going on around and I'm getting frustrated because I'm like, why won't they just listen to me? Why don't all these different people do life the way I do it? It would be so different. And then what do I do? I, I realize that's a waste of time and I realize that effort should not happen. So then what do I do? I start looking within. I just start pay, saying, well, I'll just pay attention to me, myself, and, and I. And you know what happens then? I start experiencing depression because I get incredibly focused on self. And, and, and what are we missing? What am I missing when I'm in those bouts? Well, we need to look to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus, he has a way of giving us rest. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the law of focus. When we focus on the problem, what happens? The problem grows. When we focus on the world, what happens? The influence of the world grows. What should we do? The writer asks, what should we do? He answers the question, remember what Christ has done for you. Remember his goodness. Recognize his presence and realize his power for tomorrow. A man I see oftentimes, his name's Steve, that works out with me, a retired teacher at, at the gym I work out with. A few weeks ago, he asked me, he was having a... Uh, he was having a discussion with his granddaughter, who's an agnostic, a teenager, and she just doesn't know if God is real or not. And, and she asked her grandpa to prove to me that heaven exists. And so he, Steve came up to me and he said, Tony, could you find me a verse that proves that heaven is real? Think about that one, you know. A Bible verse out there that proves heaven is real so that people who are agnostic and don't necessarily put any truth in the validity of Scripture will go, oh, can't argue with that one, you know? My answer, and it wasn't my answer, I believe it was the Holy Spirit inspiring me, was Steve, my, I've learned that when you get to know Jesus, when you get to know his presence and you get in his presence often and start getting familiar with him, you begin to trust Jesus' words. So when he says, in my Father's house are many rooms and I am going to prepare a place for you, you begin to take him at his word and gain confidence in it. And I told Steve, I said, Steve, my prescription for you is take time to get with your granddaughter and read the Bible together and just allow Jesus' words to begin flowing into her life and begin showing the character of Jesus Christ in your life and also in the word and allow the Holy Spirit to do a work that you and I can't do of convincing someone of God's truth. And my prayer is that Steve would do that and will do that. As I conclude today, I just want to read verses 3 and 4 to you. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Friends, when life stinks and when you feel like God is so far away, that is when real faith 
shows up. Will you finish this struggle well? Or, or will you give up in the middle of it like so many people have done? That's a question for you. Another question I have for you to consider as we conclude today is what is it that you have started in your life that needs to be finished? What is it, what commitment have you made that you've not completed because maybe you lost hope and you just gave up? Understand that project is still sitting there uncompleted. That project, like a, a gutted house where you can hear the wind blowing through it still, is still sitting in your life. Oftentimes, oftentimes, we wonder why God isn't giving us a new assignment. And the reason is, is because the old assignment still has not been completed. And why would God call you to do something when the thing that he called you to do before is still left undone? So I don't know what's going on, and I don't know each person's particular thing. Perhaps it's to finish school, or perhaps to get out of debt, or maybe you're supposed to get baptized, or maybe you're supposed to go deeper with God. Maybe it's to connect with a small group, but you're supposed to do something where you follow through on one of these things. What is it? And what I would encourage you as your friend and as your pastor is to set about doing it and begin the process of finishing what God has told you to do in your past. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, help us to remember that heaven is watching. These people in heaven are watching me to finish to the finish line. And God, I, I want to make it to the finish line. And so do the people listening to my voice and to this prayer right now. Lord, we want to run the race you have set before us. We want to be what you made us to be. Help us to focus on you and not our problems. Jesus, we want to focus on you. We want to remember that what you did for us. Lord, the reality is I would not be saved if not for you. And neither would the people in this room. We would not be headed to heaven. We would not be the people that we are today without you. Thank you for that. And friends, right now, I would say this to you as we're concluding this prayer. If you have never asked Jesus into your life, I would invite you right now to say, Jesus, I confess you as the son of God, and I ask you to come into my life right now. Forgive me. I want to trust you, and I want to follow you. I want to learn about you, and I want to learn to love you from this day forward. If you pray that prayer, that would be a kind of prayer that will change your life for the rest of your life. Father, hear our prayers today. And Lord, help us when we want to give up. These things we pray in your son's powerful name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.